Thursday Such a crazy, lazy day Thursday has its own peculiar way Of saying hey Sometimes Thursday almost Makes you want to run away Thursday such a crazy, lazy Well, I couldn't say it better than Harry Nielsen. Thursday's just kind of a lazy, crazy kind of day. I'll tell you how crazy it is. I got up this morning, and for the first half an hour of my day, I was convinced it was Friday. I had just dismissed Thursday completely. Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the best old-time radio podcast for this Thursday. And on Thursdays, we play a Western. And we've got a good one for you this afternoon. I hope you're doing well. The sun is shining here, and I hope it's shining on you too. Not even going to be too hot today. Going to be in the mid mid to upper 80s, which is pretty good considering we're in July. So why don't you get yourself comfortable, get situated in that big easy chair, get yourself something cold to drink, get your feet up in the ottoman, or push back on that recliner. Because we are going to get started in just a minute. That's why I didn't go to work today. Thursday has got its own peculiar way of staying here. Sometimes Thursday makes you want to run away. Thursday. Such a crazy lizard day Thursday's such a crazy lizard day for westerns and for this uh, week we are going to visit with the frontier gentleman of course jb kendall was a reporter for the london times he was sent over to the united states to report on the old west because the people in london and in england loved reading about the american old west and so he would go from territory to territory and uh, write about stories about people. But he was also a uh, very accomplished uh, fighter, shall we say, having spent time in the service, in uh, the service of his country, England. Uh, He had been assigned in India and had seen action there. So all of this is backstory that is slowly revealed over the year that this wonderful program was on. The episode we have tonight, we have not played for like eight, nine years. 
So it's hard to do with Frontier Gentlemen because I love this show so much and there's so many episodes that are really outstanding. And uh, But the show was only on for a year. So as a result, we don't, uh, we don't have a lot to choose from, just like 30 or 40 shows, whatever it is. The name of this one is The Trial. It was originally broadcast on the 18th of April in 1958. So this was very late in the history of uh, radio drama. But uh, as a result, the production quality and the production values were so much better than they had been just, uh, you know, 10 years, 10 to 15 years previously. Uh, this one is, is a good story. It's not one of the best on Frontier Gentlemen, but I try not to repeat shows more than at least every three or four years. So since this one has been so long, I thought, let's get it out there. It's just a little shallow on plot, but the characterizations are tremendous. So here we go. This is the Frontier Gentleman, and this is from April 13th, 1958 on CBS. And the name of this episode is The Trial. I'll in Fort Benton, Montana Territory. To say that it was unusual is putting it mildly. Here, gentlemen. Herewith, an Englishman's account of life and death in the West. As a reporter for the London Times, he writes his colorful and unusual stories. What is a man with a gun? He lives and becomes a part of the violent years in the new territories. Now, starring John Daner, this is the story of J.B. Kendall, Frontier Gentleman. since I'd left it five weeks earlier, except perhaps for one thing. It was spring now. You could feel it in the streets, smell it in the sun-warm air. I walked up to the little building that housed the Fort Benton Dispatch, a newspaper run by John Warren, whom I had met during my last visit. Outside, a group of men were standing about, peering through the windows. I thought that they looked at me rather strangely when I went inside, and it only took a moment to see why. The newspaper editor, Mr. Warren, sat, pale-faced, looking at a rather fierce individual who stood a few feet away from him, wearing two pistols and cradling a shotgun in his arms. Mr. Kendall. Well, how are you, Mr. Warren? Um, am I interrupting? No, no, uh, sit down. This is George McCune, J.B. Kendall. Howdy. Mr. McCune. That's right. What are you, a deputy or something? No. Mr. Kendall's a newspaper man, writes for the London Times. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, what do you say, Warren? Well, it's the way I told you. I, I'm not a lawyer. I might do you more harm than good. You're going to be like them others, huh? It's not that, but Clint Wallace is a smart man. He knows the law. That there Wallace is a no-good son of a gun. If and he tries any of them smart lawyer tricks on me, I'm going to salivate him right through his fat gizzard. Wallace is prosecuting McCune for the murder of Jack Furlong. Uh, oh, oh, I see. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you something right here now. 
I didn't shoot that lily-livered cutback of a ruptured hog, no how. Not that I ain't saying whoever done oughtn't to get a medal. I'm inclined to believe him, Kendall. The trouble is, there's not a lawyer in town to take his case. Now, I'm willing to face up to what them furlongs says I done if I get a fair trial. But I've seen what that outlawyer Wallace can do with his fancy twisting words. You know, he got me hung right now. Uh, do you mind my asking... Uh, haven't you been arrested? Well, sure, I've been arrested. How come you think I'm still in Benton? I mean, isn't it usual for a suspect to be in jail? Look, there ain't nobody gonna put me in the calaboose, especially for something I ain't done, not know how. Ain't a man in Benton big enough to try it. Why do they suspect you? Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because that eyeballer Buck Furlong, him and that cow critter wife of his, they got it in for me ever since I whooped Buck's brother Jack in a poker game. That's why. I cleaned him out, and he swore he'd get even with me. The whole blame family's been going around Benton saying I gouged Jack in the game. Me gouged you? I ain't never cheated in cards all my born days. Well, do they have any proof, I mean, that, that it was you? They ain't got nothing. There's a mule skinner in town, Ike Dawlish. He, he says he saw McCune arguing with Jack Furlong a few minutes before the shooting. That fella Dawlish, he herded one band of sheep too many. You know, that feller's plumb loco. Everybody around here knows that. Except they take his word because they got it in for me. Shucks, I was up to the other end of town sleeping off a belly full of pop skull when it happened. Anybody see you? Well, if they did, they ain't coming up to say so. Mm. When did it happen, the shooting? Well, it was about two nights back. First I heard of it was the next morning. That Marshal O'Connor, he come up to me, he says, McCune, I got to arrest you for the murder of Jack Furlong. Well, sir, I says to him, Marshal, I hear tell you like to talk a windy. Don't you try it on me this morning, because I got a head on me It's giving me the orc orcs. Well, sir, he comes back at me, and he says, I ain't lying, McCune. You've been identified as a murderer. You'll have to come down to jail with me. And I says, you must be seeing black, O'Connor. If you think I'm going to do any such thing, and you try and draw on me, I'll be happy to swap shots with you. <laughs> but I ain't going to pull freight out of here if that's what's worrying you. I'm an innocent man, and you're going to have to prove me otherwise. The trouble is, like I keep telling you, McCune, you're the one who's going to have to prove otherwise. They've got the witness. Oh, well, why can't you get a lawyer to defend you, Mr. McCune? Well, sir, now I'll tell you why. Because that there Buck Furlong's wife, Maggie, is Barry's daughter, that's why. And Dad Barry's the justice of the peace, and there ain't no lawyer with stuffings enough to stand up again at old whistling britches. Ah, uh, that does make it rather awkward. You know something? It ain't right nor fitting in these times that a man can be telling the truth and no one believe him. Now, look, Warren, you ain't afraid of that dad, Barry, are you? You know I'm not. Well, then I'll pay you a hundred and silver if you talk for me. I'd like to, McCune, but... All then... right. All right. You don't have to say no more. I'm welcoming up to the trial house, and I'm going in and let them say what they want, and then I'm walking out, and the first man tries to stop me is going to get lead poison. Well, what do you want, O'Connor? Uh, George McCune is marshal of this here town, and authority vested in O'Connor, come on, talk horse, what you want? I gotta take you down for the trial, McCune. I'm asking you polite-like to give up your guns. I'm gonna go with you, O'Connor, because you got a duty. But if you think I'm giving up my sixers of this here goose gun, you don't know no more than a mule or a rabbit. Now let's rattle hawks out of here. You know, I feel sorry for him, but I'm glad to see him out of here. 
He's been with me for better than two hours, Kendall. Yes, I can see where he could be quite persuasive. You know, I wasn't kidding. If I'd have thought I could help him, I would. But I'm no good at public speaking and never was. Break out all of a sweat. He'll do better alone. Who is he? Well, McCune, he used to be an Indian scout with Crook. Hadn't been able to forget his ways. He's a tough man and likes folks to know it. That's why even if he didn't kill Furlong, most everybody figures he did, the jury will too. You don't think so? No. No, he wouldn't have stayed around for the trial if he had. Besides, he wouldn't have killed a man like Jack Furlong. He'd have got more fun out of stomping his head in. I knew Furlong, his scroungy little toad, always fooling around with women. Somebody else's if he could. What'll happen if the jury finds McCune guilty? I don't know. It'll be trouble, though. Uh, it seems a bit unfair, doesn't it? Well, sure it is. But what are you going to do? You know, as an outsider, I might be able to defend McCune. You know anything about the law? Well, I know some pretty important words. That might help. And I have a feeling that McCune's telling the truth. I don't know about old Dad Barry, though. If he doesn't admit you to court, there's nothing you can do. I think he will. Let's go and talk to McCune. When we arrived at the saloon, it was already half full. The accused man was sitting in a small storeroom, drinking a glass of beer, his, his guns still very much in evidence. Marshal O'Connor stood in the entranceway, trying to appear as though he were guarding his prisoner, although he seemed extremely nervous and was obviously unhappy with his job. He didn't want us to talk to McCune. I'm sorry, Mr. Warren. I can't let either of you gentlemen in to see him. We're his legal counsel, O'Connor. O'Connor, you let him pass by or I'm going to come out. You said you ain't got no lawyer, McHugh. He's got one now. Don't give me no trouble, O'Connor. I ain't in the mood. All right, close the door, O'Connor. Well... I see you changed your mind, Warren. I'm real grateful to you. It's not me, McCune. It's Mr. Kendall. He's going to talk for you. How come? I heard what you had to say. I think there's a good chance you're innocent. Are you a lawyer? No, no, but I know something about law. Probably as much as Mr. Warren. Uh-huh. Uh, how much you figure on getting paid? Well, if we win, what you would have paid Warren. If we lose, no. It won't matter. Yeah. All right. All right, you got yourself a deal. But I want to tell you something, Kendall. If they call me guilty, you better duck, because it's going to be the ding-dangest shoot-up you ever saw in Benton. In a moment... We return to Frontier Gentlemen. A diller, a dollar. Here's a real chiller diller for the mystery scholar. Follow yours truly, Johnny Dollar, later today on CBS Radio. There's action-packed drama as Johnny Dollar, a suave insurance investigator, covers the globe with his expense account to track down frauds and schemers. Every Sunday... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, meets mystery, romance, thrills, and mayhem. So be sure you meet up with Johnny Dollar on most of these same stations for high-keyed excitement right here on CBS Radio. Now we return you to the Anthony Ellis production of Frontier Gentlemen. Frontier Gentlemen. 
one o'clock, the saloon courtroom was full. The judicial bench was the counter, and whiskey barrels set up on end in front of it served as the legal bar. Twelve good men and true sat at tables placed to the side in a row. They were highly conscious of their importance to the community, and only four were taking advantage of the convenience of whiskey close at hand. Windows and doors stood open for the comfort of those inside who might feel the spring warmth, and for the accommodation of those crowded outside, unable to obtain even standing room. At one o'clock, court was called to order, the clerk hammering on the bar with the butt of his pistol. got a case coming up in this here courtroom on account of George McCune, Bushwhack Jack Furlong, and he's going to get tried for it. Uh, now, everybody get up in the cloud knocker, because here's his honor, Dad Bear, who is the judge of this here All right, everybody's set. Fortune session, and I aim to state this ain't going to be no buck, so don't nobody forget it. Clint Wallace. Uh, right here, Your Honor. You ready to prosecute? I'm ready, Your Honor. How about the defense? <clears throat> the defense is ready. Who are you? J.B. Kendall. I've been retained as barrister to plead the case for my client, George McCune. You one of them traveling lawyers? Uh, no, sir. You got papers allowing you to talk in the territory of Montana? No, sir. Then sit down. Well, I submit, Your Honor, that Mr. McCune has a right to be heard and is within those rights to call whomsoever he chooses to speak for him. He has chosen me, a, uh, a prima facie rule of law. <clears throat> Phipps versus Mahoney, Nougat, um, 1803. <clears throat> What's he talking about, Flossum? Well, it sounds like law talk to me, Your Honor. Uh, give me that legal book. Well, I ain't gonna hold up this trial whittle-wanging with you, mister. Ipso facto. So don't go trying any jackleg stuff with me or by ziggity. I'll find you for contempt of this here judicial court. Miss Abby, bring in the prisoner. I'll bring in George McHugh. Ain't nobody bringing me in. I'll bring him own self. My shoes. This hombre's on trial for murder. What's she doing with them shooting irons and the shotgun? McCune, you better give me them guns. I ain't giving you nothing. <laughs> Marshal, Marshal, you hear what I say? Take them weapons off of him. Hey, Yana. Now, I got a big respect for things legal. That's how come I'm here. But if anybody tries to take my sixes, there's going to be a mess of trouble. These here weapons is to protect myself. Marshal, I'm telling you. Dad, you want them guns, you go get them yourself. I object. What are you objecting about, Clint? Ain't your court? I'll get on to the trial. <clears throat> Our gentlemen of the jury, we're going to prove that George McCune did with malice and plain ornery cousins. Killed poor old Jack Furlong on Thursday last at 9.30 o'clock. The way she's carrying on, you'd think she was married to Jack instead of Buck. We will prove that the killer McCune did take... Objection! What's the objection, mister? The learned counsel refers to my client as a killer. This has yet to be proved in trial. 
Ain't no call to object. Go ahead, Clint. <coughs> the killer, McCune, did take a forty-five and blew two holes in said deceased Jack Furlong. It killed him. We got witnesses to say how it happened. <coughs> That's all, Your Honor. All right. Hey, you. What's your name? Kendall. Yeah. Well, go on and make your speech. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, gentlemen of the jury... I shall not take up your time with a verbose statement. I will only say that when the trial is at an end, you, the peers of George McCune, will send him from this courtroom a free man, exonerated of any complicity in this crime. Clint, call the first witness. I call Buck Furlong, the dead man's poor brother, to the stand. <laughs> Uh, swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, to so help you? Sure. Well, tell what your name is, Buck. Shucks, you know my name, Slauson. Now, Buck, this here's a court of law. We gotta do things right. State your name. Buck Furlong. Oh, uh, <clears throat> Mr. Furlong, I'd be obliged if you'd tell the court just what happened on Thursday night. Sure, Clint. Like everybody knows, that no-count McCune shot my brother Jack. <laughs> I, I object. You shut up, mister. It ain't your turn yet. Go ahead, Buck. Jack said he was coming down here to your place, Dad, for a shot of whiskey. And that sidewinder McCune dropped off. This is you, Freebit Mule himself. McCune, I'm fining you $20 for pulling the gun in this here court. That is contempt. No more questions, Your Honor. Cross-examination. Go on. <coughs> Mr. Furlong, you... You say that McCune killed your brother? He sure did. How do you know that? Everybody knows I it. didn't ask that. How do you know? Because he's the only one could have done. Ike Dawlish seen him do it. And Mr. <laughs> Dawlish told you. Well, sure. Ain't that right, Dad? That's right, Buck. <coughs> told me, too. You had no other proof? I didn't need none. That's all, Mr. Furlong. Thank you. Next witness. There were ten more witnesses after that, all proclaiming Jack Furlong's good name and damning McCune's. The trial was momentarily interrupted when two deer were spotted frolicking in a meadow a hundred yards from the courtroom. There was a wild dash to the windows in order to obtain a better view. When order was restored, one of the prosecution's most important witnesses was called, Mrs. Buck Furlong. <laughs> oh, Maggie, there ain't a soul here don't understand how you felt about your brother-in-law. It's the truth, the holy truth. <laughs> sure. Now, you tell the court what you know about the murder. Well... Well, that highbinder McCune, it wasn't enough he cheated our poor Jack out of his money, which everyone in Benton knows. He hated him because his conscience wouldn't let him sleep, haunted him like. So what I figure is when poor Jack went down to get himself a drop of whiskey for his poor tooth, which was ailing him something terrible, he run into McCune and him being a drunken skunk. McCune couldn't stand a face up to him, so he shot him up. <laughs> That's how it happened, Pa, Your Honor. You just ask Ike Dawlish, he'll tell you. Poor Jack, oh, dead. Oh, poor oh, honey. Oh, 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 
Mrs. Furlong. And you, uh, mister, you ought to be ashamed defending a suck-egg coyote like that. Ain't nobody! Man, nor woman, call me! Again, that's contempt. Court fined you $20. Yeah. Now, Your Honor, I feel like my client is showing admirable control under the circumstances. You got more questions asked, mister? <clears throat> Mrs. Furlong, you were very fond of your brother-in-law, were you not? A sweet honey boy, he was. Yes, I am sure this must be very painful. But aside from what you were told, you have absolutely no proof that George McCune shot Jack Furlong. Oh! seem to me like there's much sense going on with this here trial. From what I've heard, McCune's as good as hung right now. Oh, Your Honor. You objecting again, mister? Well, the prosecution hasn't called the eyewitness. Oh, that's a waste of time, you ask me. All right, Clint, call your next witness. I call Ike Dawlish, the man who saw the killing done. Now, you swear to tell the whole truth, Dolish? Yes, sir, I surely do swear. Uh, your name is Ike Dolish? Oh, yes. Where was you on Thursday night at 9.30? Well, like I told you, Mr. Wallace, I was coming along the street outside this saloon. And when I got to the corner, there was George McCune shooting up poor old Jack Furlong. Then, then he turns and sees me and takes off out of there like a snake-eyed swishtail. I walk over to Jack, and he's lying there feeling mighty poorlyish. And I come in here and tell old Dad Barry, and he goes out and sees what happened. That's all. And you swear it was George McCune done the shooting? Oh, I swear, I surely swear. He's plumb local. Shut your mouth, McCune, or I'll find you for contempt. I'm all through, Your Honor. You got any questions, Kendall? Yes, a few. Now... What time was it when you saw the shooting, Mr. Dawlish? 9.30 o'clock. It was dark? Surely was. How close were you to McCune? Well, fairish way, maybe to where Mr. Wallace is sitting. Uh, 20 feet, and you recognized McCune in the dark from 20 feet away? Oh, not in the dark, when he come out in the light. Ah, in the light, and you had a good look at his face? Good enough. You saw his face? Well, kinder, but I seen McCune around, I know what he looks like without seeing his whole face. How was he dressed? Like he is now. I got a good memory. Them same gray pants. Hey, what's that? Uh, go on. Gray pants. Kind of a black jacket and gray shirt. Black Stetson, too, like in his hand. Exactly the same clothes as he wore the night before last, eh? The same. McCune. McCune, will you describe for Mr. Dawlish what you are wearing? I got on black pants, blue jacket, blue shirt, gray Stetson. Same as I always wear. Mr. Dawlish... What is the color of my jacket? Uh, gray. You are colorblind, my friend. I don't think you saw Mr. McCune at all. I think you either saw someone else, or perhaps you shot Jack Furlong yourself and blamed it on McCune. I'm getting out of here.
How did you know, Kendall? <laughs> I didn't. Not until Dawlish made that slip about color. The rest was luck. You know, I feel kind of sorry for little Runt, even if he did blame it on me. Has he said why he did it? Oh, well, it seems Jack Furlong was rather romantically inclined toward Dawlish's wife. He knew Mr. McEwen would be the easiest person to blame for the shooting, and, well, that was that. Hey, uh, not that it makes no never mind, but listen to that Maggie Furlong, you figure maybe she and Jack was uh, romantically inclined? Hmm? I figure that Jack Furlong had a very bad case of spring fever. It killed him. Frontier Gentlemen was written, produced, and directed by Anthony Ellis and stars John Daner as J.B. Kendall. Featured in the cast were Jack Crucian, Harry Bartell, Joe Kearns, Will Wright, Jack Moyles, Jeanette Nolan, Vic Perrin, and Stacey Harris. Music was composed and conducted by Amerigo Marino. <laughs> Join us again next week for another report from the Frontier Gentlemen. John Wall speaking. This is the CBS Radio Network. As originally heard on April 13th, 1958. I think I said April 18th earlier. It was April 13th, 1958. That was Frontier Gentlemen. The name of that episode was The Trial, and it was heard on CBS. The production qualities of those shows were excellent. Anthony Ellis, who wrote uh, many of the scripts and produced and directed, I believe, all of them, was really, really at the top of his game. And that show was so good. There's only a couple of episodes that I really didn't like. Uh, most of them I, I like a lot, and several of them I just really love. John Daner was very, very good in the role. The problem was television had come on so strong by the late 50s that sponsors were not willing to put money into radio programs. And so these shows could not attract sponsorships, which meant that the uh, networks were having to pay for their production costs and then basically uh, play them without having any return on their investment other than they could advertise other shows that they had or they would put on public service announcements. So it just didn't pay for them to keep these shows on. Now, what they did with Frontier Gentlemen when they canceled it, they uh, turned around and took Have Gun, Will Travel from television and uh, made a radio adaptation of it again starring John Daner, and it was good. It was very good, but I don't think it was as good as, as Frontier Gentlemen. And by that time, too, they had discovered that you didn't have to have a single sponsor to make a show profitable. You could sell advertising space within the show. And all of a sudden, like in the case of Have Gun, Will Travel, they would have two and even three commercials during the show, which really cut down on the content. But anyway, uh, Westerns are one of our favorites, and uh, Have Gun, Will Travel, and Frontier Gentlemen, and Gunsmoke, and Fort Laramie, 
and Six Shooter. They all were really, really good shows, and they all came in the mid, well, in the 50s. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, We'll be back this weekend with a two-hour show, and then we'll be back on Monday with an all-new comedy, and then Tuesday we'll have a drama, Wednesday we'll have a mystery detective show, and on Thursday another Western. I thought I'd choose a song tonight that would depict something of an Old West trial, and uh, I think this is a good one. I love the ballads that Marty Robbins sang that told stories. In fact, I love any song that tells a story. This is Bob Bro. I am so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me, and you stay safe and sane over this, uh, this holiday weekend. When I hear the rain coming down, it makes me sad and blue. Was on a rainy night like this that Flo said we were through. I told her how I loved her and I begged her not to go. But another man had changed her mind, so I said goodbye to Flo. Alone within myself tonight, my heart is filled with fear. The only sound within the room is the falling of each tear. I think about the thing I've done, I know it wasn't right. They'll bury That night he came and took my flow and headed into town. I knew I had to find this man and try to gun him down. As I walked by a dim cafe and I looked through the door, I saw my flow. With her new love And I couldn't stand No more I couldn't Stand no more I took My pistol From my hip And with a trembling Hand I took the Life of Pretty flow and that good For nothing man that good for nothing man I think about the thing I've done I know it wasn't right They'll very flow tomorrow but